is our Jesus. We're Jesus centered. No, you no, you're not. You're just you're 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 basically some kind of Gnostic fundamentalism with a little Jesus veneer on it. But once you scrape that off, underneath it is rot and disease. You you claim to be Jesus centered all you want. You got a fake Jesus. You got nothing. A trip through the worm factory today on In the Shadow of the Cross. In the Shadow of the Cross. I'm Lauren Rosser, and I'm here once again with my friends, Jim Durkin. Hello. God's man of faith and power for this hour. <laughs> I wasn't sure if I should say it or not. That's what Jim came in as is his name on the uh, for for the Zoom that we do. And then, of course, we have Gozer the Barbarian. Yes. <laughs> you so, cannot bother me. So this is a rare moment in my life that I am the normal person in the room right now. So enjoy we, it we while got... you can, because Jim and I exactly. are going to exactly. Yeah, this, this will last until the podcast is over, and I go in the other room with my wife, and I will not be the normal person in the room anymore. <laughs> so we we thought it would be fun to continue the conversation from last week. We've been untangling this web and just kind of wrestling with some things as far as uh, you know, evil and. And uh, when bad things happen to good people and all that kind of stuff that people have been wrestling with for really centuries. Um, and uh, we left off last week. I, I opened a, I, I first called it a can of worms. And then uh, Jim and Michael said, no, that, that's an entire worm factory. <laughs> so we're calling this episode the worm factory. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to share some thoughts because the last podcast ended with me basically saying, you know, I kind of touched on some things from open and relational theology as far as does God experience the future with us? Does he know the future and things of uh, things along those lines? And um, I've had kind of a, as I've been wrestling with this, I kind of had a change in my own thinking on this, but I still want to explore this more. I think it's a, a fascinating topic. Um, but it's funny because, Michael, you had shared uh, a while back. I remember you sharing one time on the West, West I, I had it all ready to say, Wesleyan quadrilateral. <laughs> Did I finally say it right? Nope. Uh, where it's the four. <laughs> can you say it? The Wesleyan quadrilateral. Thank you. The Wesleyan I still can't. Forget it. I'm not even going to try. What Michael said. Um, Scripture, so, reason, tradition, and... Uh... Experience. experience exactly and so the whole thing is that that's the uh that that's the proper way they say to do theology is is those four boxes need to be covered and and it was funny because as i applied that to what i'd been questioning about god knowing the future i went i have to rethink some things because the first thing i ran into was when i look at scripture and i look at the star being in the right place at the right time for jesus birth that created some problems for me with a God who doesn't know the future. And then Jesus, uh, Peter, uh, hearing, you know, Jesus saying to Peter before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny me. Three is a very specific number to know just by connecting some dots or something. So that kind of created some trouble. Then, then when I looked at, for me, then I looked at my experience and I have three things. I'm not going to go go through the details of them, but I have three very uh, specific experiences in my life where just in prayer and then and in my wife praying and stuff where God told us some extremely specific details that were going to happen and they did happen. And, and it was, it was things where there was nothing, it wasn't like looking at the economy and looking, connecting dots and things like that. It was things where there was nothing in the works for any of those things to be called out by somebody, you know, no matter how intelligent they are. So it was somebody who clearly had a view of something beyond what other people could see to, to, to see that. Um, and then of course, tradition, you know, if you look at several of our, our, of our Christian traditions have said that. So I just want to start right there where that's caused me to backtrack on some of my thoughts on, on these arenas. 
And so I'll, I'll throw it out to you guys, let you pick it up. Hey, Jim, I want to really, I really think I can ring your bells with this one, big time. I mean, major, major, big time. Um, I have been this last week, uh, perhaps more than any week of my life, um, questioning the value of, of everything I've learned. And, and, and while I realize it's very, very important for me to have taken the journey I took, um, and that I'm trailblazing, I mean, I'm out there, I'm out there, (laughs) I'm just out there by myself trailblazing and maybe there's a butt or two in the distance. I don't know, but it's lonely, you know, but I got to thinking that, that, that what carries me, what used to carry me, what used to carry me was the fact that. I had a lot of knowledge. I, my theology was solid. It was good. But that doesn't, that doesn't carry me anymore. And what, what is it that carries me? And, and I've talked about this, and that's trust. And so here's, here's what I want to ask about us as human beings. I mean, this is really important. Not, not just human beings, um, but also those whom the creator of the universe would, would desire to be in a paternal familial relationship with as parent to child when i was a little boy i got hurt like i remember my my brother hit me in the head with a golf club accidentally um i i uh i know i injured myself riding the learning how to ride a bicycle i remember when i i my earliest memory is when i'm two or three years old falling in my parents' bedroom and hitting my, my forehead on the corner of their bed and getting stitches. So I was injured as a child, you know, um, you know, I was, uh, by today's standards, you could say that I had been kind of abused as a child, you know, uh, by today's standards back then it was like normal <laughs> beat the crap right. out of them. <laughs> um, you know, but, 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 but I never, ever thought about, am I going to have dinner tonight? Is there going to be food on the table? Um, I, I'm not a child in a war zone. I didn't grow up as a child in a war zone. I grew up with the fortune, the really great fortune, blessing. I don't even know what to call it. Luck, perhaps even. Uh, 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 of a up and coming, you know, kind of suburban American middle class family type, you know, and I, I never worried about where my next meal was coming from, or if I was going to have a bed at night or that kind of, until I was a teenager. <laughs> but but as a child, I didn't. As a child, you know, it, it was just you know, I never worried about my father losing his job, that kind of stuff. Now. I began toying with this and asking about the Abba experience that I'm having and wondering if, if, (laughs) well, I mean, what would it mean if we were all young Sheldons, you know, asking these big philosophical questions, you know, like six, seven, eight, nine, 10 year old Sheldon does, right? Life that's what we've become. That's as we've become a society of young Sheldons in relation to God. We have all of our questions, and it's just more and more hitting me that we're asking the wrong questions. Man, we are right. we are so seduced into thinking that this worldview that we live in is real. This this view of society we have, this view of the universe we have, this view of physics we have, this view of theology we have, this view of philosophy we have, this view of humanity and anthropology. We think that's real. And it's not. And the Father would have us kind of, I think, see through the smoke and mirrors of human culture and recognize that, that love is the only way, man. You know, um, and trust is is the key. I mean, it's, it's just it's that simple. Anyway, that's kind of where yeah. my head's at. Yeah, I I agree because that's the whole thing that actually made me backtrack was it was those that those experiences I was describing were moments of trust and a- encountering the Father's love in in very real circumstances, and and it caused me to have to take a step back and go, you know, I'm. 
I think I'm getting a little too um, just uh, how would you put it? Like too lost in the weeds, you know, mm-hmm. in, in all this stuff and having to take a step back and go, now, wait a minute. What, what has my relationship with, with father been on this journey, mm-hmm. you know? And, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. I was thinking the other day, uh, Michael, how, how, just how you were saying you're a trailblazer. I'm, I'm not a trailblazer. I'm a, I, I'm, I'm a trail finder. <laughs> I like to find trails that are overgrown and, and go down them. You know, and uh, and I was thinking that, that I think that's why I, I enjoy reading your stuff and stuff because you're up there blazing through. I'm the guy hiking along goes, oh, check out this path. This is different. Let's go down this one, you know, and and that's why the worm factory, you know, I, I like to go down and look some of those roads and some of those roads you go down so far and you're like, ah, it's a cliff, you know, or it's a it's a dead end. And, and other ones you go down you and you find out it's a beautiful path, you know, and, and it takes you somewhere wonderful. And. And it's worth following it, it. So that's the thing I love about this freedom that I found in Christ starting in the year 2000, when I, when I just got started getting untangled from so much of the religiosity that I was just entrenched in was the freedom to, to explore that wasn't there before that to, to be able to look at a, to now I'm not talking like going crazy, but I'm talking about to be able to look at a new trail and say, this is different. I want to, where does this go? Is this, is this a trail worth taking or is this something just, you know, and to not be threatened by that anymore. And I I gotta say real quick that that's impacted me hugely as a creative in the, Mm -hmm. in the, in the film side and stuff, Mm because you can't be creative Mm -hmm. in the, uh, in the religious system. Um, you, you know, there's rules. You, you, you can't color outside the lines. And so you can't be artistic and, you know, and that's why, at least in Protestant circles, you know, Catholicism at least has a theology of beauty, um, which is wonderful. Um, but, but in Protestantism, they don't. And so you have the rule book, but anyway, I'll, I'll hand it back to you guys. I think it probably starts with the, um, giving yourself the liberty to ask questions that you've never given yourself liberty to ask. Exactly. <laughs> the, the, the deep questions. Uh, I think even the question that you started out with here, uh, Lauren, uh, today, um, does God know the future? Is he the future? Uh, is he kind of, co-scripting the future with us um you know religious people would say he he's god of course he knows the future don't ask that question and and, and i say why not ask that question what's what's wrong with it even if the conclusion that you come up with is the same conclusion that religious people have come up with for two thousand years um hopefully you came to that conclusion because you honestly asked the question and you came to that conclusion not just like throw your hands up in the air and oh well I guess I'll just accept that he's god and he's the alpha and the omega and he knows everything and da, 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 da. you know and it's, it's like no we work through this thing it's kind of like what you're use your analogy, you, you know, you went down that trail. And, and so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about some things in light of our discussion. Uh, there's a scripture that says God opens the womb and he closes the womb. And, and so you think, okay, well, that means then that, uh, God opened my mom's womb, and I'm the product of that. So, there is a backstory. Uh, There's a little backstory there. <laughs> well, we're not going into the backstory. <laughs> An angel appeared to Jim's mother. <laughs> exactly. And um, so. I look at that and I say, okay, now, what Michael said, uh, my dad was, uh, to be nice, my dad was a a disciplinarian. And uh, yes, we would have called it, today we would call it uh, uh, abuse. Abuse, we would. (laughs) 
you know, but but back then it was called discipline. Yeah. And, you know, and he talks about his grandfather, who he was raised by, an old German man, mm-hmm. uh, who, um, you know, what I got was mild, uh, you know. So, uh, any anyhow... Um, the beatings so, will continue until the morale improves. <laughs> did, did so? Did God uh, destine that for me to be born in that family? Uh, well, then, then you say, okay. Well, if that's true, then what about the person who's born in the abusive alcoholic uh, family, or or? you know, the axe murder family or, you know, you know, and the story goes on and on. Well, uh, the Kardashian family. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I don't want to be in that family. No, no. Uh, al- although I wouldn't mind being uh, that beautiful, but, you know, hey, I got what I got. <laughs> so y- y- you have that end of things. Then you have another scripture that he causes all things to work together for good. Uh, he doesn't cause all things, uh, my belief anyhow, uh, but he causes it to work together for our good. And I, and I think about that now, put that in human terms. My brother, uh, I'm going to tell on him, uh, we're getting ready to go to church Sunday night, and he was maybe four, and um, we, my dad built our house back then, and we lived down in uh, Fairfield, California, and uh, so we get out of the house, and John sees a hammer, and, and he picks up that hammer, and for some reason, he throws that thing as high as a four-year-old kid can up oh, no. in the air. No, 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 oh, and of course, no, no, no. You know the story. Oh, and okay, now let's just put that to humanity and God. Okay. Now here's what my dad does. He scoops my brother up, puts him in the car. And instead of going to church, which is what we were destined to do, he takes him to the hospital. Yeah. That's what a good that's what a good father does, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Now he didn't perceive that ahead of time. He 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 wasn't like this evening at six o'clock on the way to church. My oldest son is going to throw a hammer in the air and it's going to come down and hit him. And, you know, but seeing it, he caused that event to work out for John's eventual, at least health good. <laughs> in other words, he took him to the hospital. You, you, you see what I'm saying? And, and so, yeah, these are valid questions to ask is that. God is watching over us. And as we do the stupid things we do in life and the good things we do in life, um, he's working things around for our good. Or as you said, and of course, uh, some of, well, the two of you know my story a little bit. I function prophetically. I've called out people's future very detailed in some instances, but I get very frustrated with the charismatic, prophetic, uh, you know, fortune tellers, you know. Um, I think when something like that happens, that it's that detailed, I think there's a reason God wants that person to know in that instance what's going to happen. Um, and, and it, it, you know, but, but what we do is we put that gift, if we call it a gift up on stage and then, and then people go running to it every two days. It's like, Oh, I need another word, you know, or I need confirmation or, you know, or let's 
piss this new guy who's got a new name and wrote a new book, and let's see if he prophesies the same thing the last guy prophesied. And I'm like, you know, oh, what man. a bunch of garbage. But um, kind of one of the reasons I kind of got off that circuit is like, I don't want to play that game. My my, but, my, my, think, my my first reply, Jim, is to say, thank God I was predestined to be born a Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> a scholar. <laughs> a scholar. <laughs> anyway, sorry book, to interrupt. but anyway. a, a book reader. Anyhow, so I, I just look at these things and I say, I would much rather have a... relationship with God that is based on uh, love. It's based on faith. Uh, and, and maybe a better word would be trust. That even if I get myself in a jam, even if I throw a hammer in the air because I'm only four years old and I don't realize that the law of gravity has to work, um, as I remember, I think he looked up and saw it coming down. And I think if I remember right, he took a few steps running and that hammer followed them. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> <No. laughs> you know, uh, but, but at any rate, uh, you know, I would rather think that I'm in this thing with, um, a relationship that's based on love. He loves me. And even when I do stupid things, he's going to work that out. And I can trust that. I can trust that if he has to, he'll scoop me up in his arms and take me to the hospital or, or whatever. And whether he knew ahead of time because he's God, I I tend to lean in the direction that he did. Um, you know, that people say he knows the beginning from the end. And I said, well, I haven't ever read that scripture. Maybe Michael has. I've read the one that says he is the beginning and the end. Uh, and in all, and in him, all things consist. Uh, um, I don't know what that means 100%. I kind of tend to think he knows. And I kind of tend to think that a lot of times he doesn't share that with me because that allows me to enjoy the adventure of living. Yeah, it's interesting. And in, in with what you were saying, Jim, how, um, you know, the, the good that comes out of those situations and stuff. And Lily and I often joke about when we were young and dumb, you know, the, the decisions we made and stuff. And, uh, and, and, and we, we've even gone like on this fun, had fun conversations where we go, you realize what if, what if we'd made this decision instead of that decision, how things would have turned out so much better and all that. But then what's funny is we always stop and go, but you know what? We wouldn't know X, Y, Z if we had done this instead of that. And, and we can always trace to these good things now that came out of the dumb decision we made back then. And then, and then we have similar things where my sister and I, we had this really good conversation where my sister and her husband and Lily and I were all out to dinner when they were visiting. And we're talking about some of the pain in the family we went through as far as when my dad died, you know, I shared last week about him getting killed by the drunk driver, but we started going around the table, all of us sharing the beautiful things that happened. Now, I don't believe God made that happen at all, as I said last week, but, but there was beauty that came from the pain. And for one thing, my sister and I got a lot closer. Um, and so it, it's just kind of interesting how there, there is that where God does turn things that are ugly into something beautiful. Last week we had, um, Evil is live spelled backwards or something or however. Live spelled backwards, yeah. Live is, is, is evil, right? Okay. It it really seems to me. Now let me and I and I have I want to throw an analog out because um I've used this before that 
imagine you're a, um, a just a god that's love, right? And and the species that the creation you've created is the species has evolved, or however you want to see it, whatever you want to see it as. Um, uh, they took a wrong turn, <clears throat> and part of that wrong turn was they perceived you as judgmental, and so they got, got afraid of you, and so they started behaving differently towards you, right? And you come walking around going, where, where are, where'd you guys go? You know, where, where are you at? You know, and the human species is going, you know, well, now we're doing theology because, you know, and, and they start doing this and um, you're this, you're, you're the, this pure love. And now you've got a species that thinks that all gods are powerful and angry or, or gods have a dark side or gods don't make sense, or gods are confusing, or gods are mysterious. There are wonders to perform. Who knows what the hell they're going to do next? We don't know, you know. It's God, right? And um, if you're this God of love, how do you, how do you come into the, the human worldview that we've constructed and transform that and say, no, 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 that's not who I am? Well, the only way to do it is... is is for revelation to come into the heart of religion and the heart of religion is sacrifice and transform the notion of sacrifice. And that's, that's what revelation does. Right now, if we can acknowledge that we're not going to have a problem saying either God is all powerful or God is love. And if he's all powerful, he's not very loving because he doesn't do anything and people die and they get hurt and there's accidents and babies die and the children die and blah, 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 blah. There's war and Okay. And right. and if he's if he's powerful, he's not very loving because look at who's making it in the world and who's you know you got the ninety nine percent getting crushed. Again. That's a false question. It's a false dichotomy because what it, it fails to do is it fails to connect power and love because love has a power. There's a power in love. There is a power in love. It is yes, a power. That's good. It's the ultimate power, right? It's the it's it's the power beyond all powers, but we we can't conceive of it because for us love is weakness. Love is love is uh, okay. I'll give you another chance. Love is um uh oh it's okay. I, I I know you didn't mean to step on me. Love is the cross, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so so. To me, to me, all these enlightenment questions, these theological questions, post-Reformation, now postmodern theology, everybody's out there trying to do genitival, not genital. In some cases, yes, genital, but mostly genitival theologies, you know, theologies of color, theologies of gender, theologies of, you know, whatever you want to be, you know, I'm... You know, I'm a I'm a crackhead moron, trans doubled something else, and I have a theology that I can find in the Bible. And everybody and their brothers out there doing this right now. The hyper differentiation is killing us. And nobody's listening. Mm-hmm. Right. All we're mm-hmm. trying to do is say, I'm accepted. God accepts me. God accepts me. God accepts me. And I can find it in the Bible. And I'm mad at you because you told me God didn't accept me. Damn it. That's where they're at. They're all angry and mad. And it's just like, what are you what are you pissed off at people who are stuck in the same matrix as you for? Don't get mad. Get out there and liberate them. And you don't liberate them by slaughtering them on the altar of sacrifice. You liberate them by loving them into the kingdom, into the right. Father's reign. Mm-hmm. And so this has been my dilemma this last week. I'm going to be trying to exegete Ephesians in my, my Facebook group, right? And I'm reading Ephesians about Paul's vision. And I'm I'm just getting sick to my stomach because I'm thinking 2,000 years down the road, is th- is this what Paul saw? Hmm. No, what Paul what Paul was seeing in Ephesians is it hasn't come true, hasn't happened. It's still out there, you know. I'm just going, wow. We are still because we're asking the wrong questions. We're we're so far behind the the, the curve, you know. I don't know. I just just kind of where my headspace is at, but. Um. The only other thing I'd say, let me say about this too. What do you what do you guys when you think about the categories like the future, the past, the present? Um, I mean, what, what is the present? The present is the past flowing into the future, <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, what is this moment? This moment is already past. Yeah. By the time you replied, that moment was gone. You know. So 
What, what is it that we do with time? We divide time into these categories, past, present, mm-hmm. and future. Why? Mm-hmm. Because of we, because we know something that we call death. Death, death is the end. You know, the Greeks knew this. They had the three goddesses. I think Klopos, Stropos, Lachesis, you know, the one uh, weaves the thread of your life. The other one measures it. And the last one cuts it. Well, if you're going to cut that thread, you're going to end your life. Your life is going to end. Boom. Now you've got the past and the present and the future. The future, you know what's going to happen. You're going to die. But that scares that scares the bejesus because you don't know what's past that, right? Right. What if death is taken out of the equation? What if there's no more death? What if there's no death? Yeah. What if you, you won't die? Your body, this mm-hmm. body, this existence in space and time is one thing. But that doesn't mean you, your consciousness, your, however you want to talk about yourself, that doesn't mean you become disembodied. And if you trust that God has raised Christ from the dead, why why wouldn't you trust God will raise you from the dead? And therefore, you can choose not to fear anything, because nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing can separate you from the promise of the resurrection. Nothing. Not life, nor death, nor principalities, nor angels, or powers, or things present, or things to come. And we might add, or things past. So I, th- I think that that picks up on a on a, uh, a thought. I was as you were talking, I was, you know, I was I was reflecting back on, you know, my childhood, and um, even into my you know, my adult years. Um, but, um, dad had to work through, he had, uh, an incredible amount of, of anger. And, um, he was orphaned by the time he was 13, um, passed around from aunt and uncle to aunt and uncle. And they didn't appreciate having to put up with this brat and you know whatever and uh you know so he had a lot of things in his life you know that he had to work through and and um his depression anger whatever uh you know he he took it out mostly on my brother and I my sister uh he was of the persuasion that you know you don't touch women, you know, in in that way. I mean, you don't hit them or whatever. And so um, that worked to John's and my advantage a few times because he'd line the three of us up and, all right, which one of you did this? And we would uh, give Joya 50 cents to admit that she was the one. Did you really? <laughs> and did sometimes you admit she was the one? That's and great. Sometimes, That's very sometimes clever. it works. That's very clever. <laughs> sometimes it worked, but usually dad could tell. And so John and I both got the spanking and, you know, uh, or two spankings, one for doing it and, and one, one for, for <laughs> you deception. <know. laughs> but any any rate, um, even on family nights when we would be playing games and having fun and sometimes dad would get down on the floor and he'd wrestle around with, you know, my brother and I. And in the back of our mind, we were always thinking, uh, you, you know, this could turn real quick, you know. And um, so we were always waiting for the shoot drop, we were always, um, you know, when he'd come home, uh, we were always kind of, well, let's go up to our room and let's, uh, listen for, is the door going to slam or is he singing, uh, Irish tunes as he walks up the door. If he's singing Irish tunes, he's in a good mood, you know, and, and you know, you know, 
and uh, yeah, so we can safely go back downstairs and, and, you know, sit in the living room and watch TV, you know. Um, and I was thinking about, that's how so many Christians live their life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, is God in a good mood today? Or, yeah. you know, or, you know, is he pissed off about something? And I'm the one that's going to get the belt, you know. It's like I say uh, in the Jesus-driven life. If you know uh, God is tense, and because they tell you, you kind of hold God's attributes in tension, right? Well, if God is tense, he needs a psychiatrist, and you're worried about the days either God's been drinking—that those are bad days—or he's forgotten his meds. <laughs> or if, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and well, yeah, and Lauren and I, you know, the church Lauren went to in Old Town. We had a lot of people from uh, in in this town, Eureka. Old Town is, uh, well, years ago they called it Drunk Town, but uh, a lot of homeless down there and whatever. Mm. And I could see them when they walked in. Mm. And I, uh-oh, he's off his meds. And, mm-hmm. you know, so, yeah. yeah, it's like, you know, and a couple of times I had to meet somebody at the back door and say, you know, not today, you know. Yeah, I, I yeah. just I'm not going to deal with it. But uh, but in any any rate, the journey of faith or trust, I, I, I like trust better. It, mm-hmm. It's um, the journey of trust is is a daily transformation of, you, you know what? He didn't go off his meds today <laughs> and tomorrow. You know what? He's just getting a little bit better every day. It's like, and <laughs> when I came home from Vietnam, I, I, you know, I don't want to take the whole show to talk my story, but when I came home from Vietnam, uh, my dad and mom had gotten involved. It was uh, uh, in 1971 and uh, it was the very beginning of the Jesus People movement. And they had gotten involved with a uh, Christian commune. Another man started, but he didn't like the cold and the fog of the Pacific Northwest. So he moved to Hawaii and turned, turned that ministry over. It was called the Lighthouse Ranch mm-hmm. and turned that over to my dad. And my mom's writing me and, and she's telling me about how her and dad got involved with something. And it's kind of like a, a Bible school for ex hippies. And I'm like, okay, now I went to Bible school for one semester. I flunked out, but I went. Uh, so I know what Bible school is like, you know, suits and ties and, you know, whatever. And I also, hung out with hippies in the park and threw frisbees. And I'm like, there is no ex-hippie that I know, or no hippie I know, ex or otherwise, that would want to have anything to do with my dad or or Christianity or Bible school. So I don't know what mom's talking about. (laughs) And I get home from Vietnam and she takes me out there because that's where dad's at and I did not want to see the man. I didn't. Hmm. But I've been gone for a year, and I'm like, well, I guess I owe it to him. Like, I'm his indentured servant, you know. And without going into a lot of detail, at some point in time, he walks over to where we were getting out of the car, throws his arms around me, gives me the biggest hug. I can't remember him ever hugging me. Hmm. And he just whispers in my ear. He said, I love you, son. And I'm so sorry. And I'm like, this is a different guy. (laughs) And I learned over the next few years, how different he really was. He had had a transformation and we became pretty good friends. But even in becoming friends, I still had all the years of yesterday's memory of, yeah, 
but. Mm-hmm. And to let God off the hook, we have to let go of the Old Testament, quote, memory of, well, yeah, but in the Old Testament, he was. And we have to look at Jesus. And therefore, he's going to be again. <laughs> right. Jesus was the time well, he remembered his meds. Well, yes, he's. of course he's going to be again because it's appointed and the man wants to die. And after that, you know. Uh, sorry, we're <laughs> digressing. <laughs> we don't ever do that. But we have to start with Jesus and the cross. We cannot start with uh, written script about a God who people in ancient times believed they knew and directed them to do things and whatever. Um, and that's not easy for people. But it's in the Bible, the basic instructions before leaving the, you know, the <laughs> holy word of God. Right. You know? And so, yeah. It's it, it's a conundrum. <laughs> yes. Well, it's been solved for us. It, it has been solved. The, the, there's yes, no, it has. You know, and um, I guess this is this is to me. We, we are living right now. It's a ve- it's a very exciting time to live in. We're in a kind of a cocoon time because the world as we know it is changing. We all know this. We know the social order is changing. We, we have seen massive changes in terms of technologies. Just in the, think about just the last 200 years, we've been through four major industrial revolutions. We're in the fourth now. There's big technological revolution. We have no idea what AI is going to be like when it's in our life. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah. You know, and, and, and then, and, and, you know, I've been posing the question that's been asked by others, and that's, um, you know, what, what if AI turns against us? Well, it, in a sense, there, there's an almost poetic beauty to that because what we did to our creator, our creation will do to us, you know. And then, then that's the end of the experiment that, that we know as um, first creation and then whatever happens after. So I have us in the middle in a cocoon. The oldest is passed away, Right. The new, whatever the church is going to be, whatever the church is going to look like in the future, because because listen, after the economies crash, there's going to be no disposable income. People aren't going to be able to pay a church, building, mortgage, pastor. That's that that's done. Over the next five six years, you you watch, man. You're going to see church after church after church close, 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 close. And those that have just taken started taking out mortgages and building this last four or five years, done. They're done. Man, it's, it's over, you know? And when that happens, the church changes. Like maybe we go back to house church, neighborhood house churches, Jim. Maybe mm-hmm. may, may, maybe we do Zoom churches. I don't know. But but I know that we have got to think, where is the gospel going to be in this new world? You know, how, how can we help set up theological thinking in that kind of future? And I just don't see a lot of, creativity out there in in the theological world as I know it that's addressing this and even when it's being addressed I think it's being addressed right now really poorly um, in the few things I've seen so if we're in this cocoon phase if we're in this this phase of of time time that's neither past nor future um, it seems to me that the best thing we can that we can do that we can actually do is just a be very very patient and let the spirit do the spirit's work because the spirit works the word into the world that's what's been happening forever right mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. need to be patient it doesn't have to happen in my lifetime right or my children's lifetime or theirs or their whatever but are we sowing good seeds? Are we sowing words of truth? Not not theological bullshit, but 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 discourse grounded in 
the cross-resurrection life of Jesus? Are, are we doing that? You know, is our is our Jesus we're Jesus centered? No, you no, you're not. You're just you're 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 basically some kind of Gnostic fundamentalism with a little Jesus veneer on it. But once you scrape that off, underneath it is rot and disease. You you can claim to be Jesus centered all you want. You got a fake Jesus. You got nothing. You know, and even he warned us that there would be those who would come out and say. I've got the real Jesus. I'm following the real Jesus. I am he, you know, follow me. And, and we've seen that phenomenon now for the last several hundred years, especially. You know, since the Enlightenment and since we've had the development of ego consciousness and then eventually celebrityhood, and now it's everybody wants to be a Christian influencer. I'm talking to a friend of mine the other day on the phone, and there's some guy that he's having a spat with. And he's, he says, but he, I'm supposed to submit because he's my bishop, but but he only has 15 people in his house church. I said, if he's a bishop and he's only got 15 people in his house church, there's a little bit of incongruity here, you know, and you're five, 600 miles away and he wants you to submit. Are you kidding me? Are you, you know, this is like, where's the church got, what have we gotten to? What have we gotten to? And it's sure not what Paul's looking at in Ephesians. And I'm thinking, okay, how can we sow those kinds of, visionary seeds like Paul had so that the, 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 the generations after us will be able to live into the beauty of the gospel and, you know, and, and endure their own crucifixions and resurrections. Uh, of course, you know, we can't bring in the millennium or the, or utopia, but, but maybe we can say something that destructures this broken frame of thinking that we started at the beginning, this sacrificial way of thinking. And if we can help break that down, then evil cannot live. And live can never be evil. Life can never be evil. Yeah, it's interesting to talk about how you brought up about the change that how we're in this cocoon in this middle of this drastic change. Because this this morning I was playing a record, uh, playing Simon and Garfunkel. And uh, yeah. now they are before my time, but I love them. I, I just well, that's I really great. Well, Jim, Jim and, and I are sitting here going, I want to know which album. <laughs> oh, it was. Oh, my gosh. I have it right here, but I, I have to look over to, okay. to see which one it was. But it had Troubled Water on it. Uh, okay, it's a late, that's one of their uh, later albums. Okay. Well, I think it was one of their later ones, but yeah, I, yeah. I love their old stuff, too. Anyway, so, I, but it was funny because the thought crossed my mind. I go, man, I was like, the world has changed. And I started thinking about people like your generation. I'm going, how must this feel to people who grew up listening to Simon and, Gar Simon and Garfunkel? If I feel like that, and I grew up, you know, born in the 70s, teen years in the 80s, you know, and I feel that way. I'm like, how much must people who are now, you know, retiring and stuff, you know, it, it gives you actually some compassion. You're going, man, the, the it's like it's cultural whiplash, you know, what's what's happening is so, so drastic. And, uh, and then, and then just the other day, you know, I was looking at, um, somebody had posted something about AI, um, and they, they showed a demonstration of, of how it's improved in just a year on, on movie making. Mm -hmm. And, and part of me was very excited about it. I have to be honest for the first time, because they were going, you can, we're, we're steps away from anybody could basically make a movie like looks like it's shot in a town right. with actors and I'm going, wow, you're talking someone like me who's not been able to accumulate millions of dollars to go out and make a movie could input my screenplay and make a movie. But then I got scared because I'm like, that also means all those people who don't know how to write a screenplay worth crap are going to be able to who think they're the next Spielberg are going to go out and start making these shitty movies right and left. Yeah. And so you're going to have the same thing that YouTube did with theology and academics where all of a sudden everybody's an expert <sighs> yeah. and you have to try and weed through all that. So now everybody can create a movie. And so you don't know what's the good one versus what's the bad, you know? And, and so that's like, that's kind of scary in itself too. Um, just because of just the loss of quality and expertise to, to be able to simply recognize this person knows their field, knows their craft, knows that art, whatever arena we're talking about versus these people don't, but they won't acknowledge. They don't have a Simon Cowell in their life to go, you suck. Yeah, 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 right. <laughs> go, go in a different direction. That's you right. Know? That's right. <laughs> which, which I think is actually what we're lacking today, you know? Right. And, and so, you know, you, you talk about trusting the Father. I mean, 
yeah, we, we are in a, in a season where, you know, we, we really don't know what's around the bend. We can speculate, we can, you, you can connect dots to some degree, but I think that's even the fear of running back to the past and, you know, try and rebirth things from the past. And you see a lot of that happening too. Um, but yeah, so it, it, all that is just to say that I completely agree that, that without trust in the father, we're lost. You know, we're, it's, we're in an overwhelming season right now. And, and really it, it takes trust in the father to weather this. And, and I would say also friends, friends who are also trusting the father. And to me, that's where we get down to what church really is, is, you know, that, that connection with other people who are also trusting the father. I think that's an excellent description of the church, the, the group of that we are those who trust the father together. Unfortunately, um, we don't we don't behave that way as Christians, as Christian community. Right. Um, yeah. We we are afraid of dying. We are afraid of letting go. We are uh, astonishingly weak as as a species, let alone uh, you know as as Christians. We're very weak, and it's it's but 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 that's that's just part of I think. What makes human life so so interesting and wonderful, and and we are we are not pinnacles of perfection when we pop out of the womb, man. We grow, we change, we constantly change, you know. And yeah, I, I think one of the things that um, what you're saying there, because what we're calling the church has become. A, a, a congregation instead of a community and in a in a community we we interrelate through each other's stories um when I, when i first moved back to new york um uh, i told people uh to pastor the church back there i did 13 funerals or memorial services before I ever did a wedding. And um, when it's one, two, three members of the same family, when it's uh, little children, when it's a man lost at sea, um, you know, these tragedies only net us closer together as a community. Because we walk through life with each other. And in walking through life, hopefully the people experiencing the tragedies experience the love of God in that, not in a vacuum, but in a community who loved them. And, right. and learned how to weep with those that are weeping. Can I can I throw something out here then too about that, Jim? We've watched now as um, uh, Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey, any number of other chiefs uh, uh, have just made massive donations to the, the family, particularly of the mother that that died. Um, there is, as you said, there is something about tragedy that brings us together, and when the tragic brings us together. It's it's an echo. It's an echo of the scapegoat mechanism. You know what I'm saying? So in scapegoating, we intentionally have someone taken out or killed or we kill them. And that brings us together. But tragedy is the same phenomenon, but it is not us that's doing the killing. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, but the cathartic function is the same. And I, I was uh, both pleased and, in another way, almost dismayed uh, at, at the whole event surrounding the, uh, the Kansas City shooting after the Super Bowl. Um, I saw one, one author uh, who, who queries, you know, is there no safe place anymore? Malls, schools, churches, synagogues, mosques. Uh, celebration parades, uh, funerals, weddings, you know, there's any, is there any safe place? And, and I don't think there is. 
I, I think all the so-called sacred boundaries have now been broken. And that we are, we are at a time of, uh, where we're going to move into very serious chaos, social chaos, because there are no boundaries. There's no, more, there's no morality anymore. Morality is whatever you believe, and if you believe that killing someone and getting them out of your way and hating someone and getting them out of your way or killing someone and stealing their wallet, if you believe that, you know, that's, that's your worldview, you're going you're gonna to be passing that out and living it. And um, I, I'm just, you know, I, I don't think we Christians, we're, we're sitting here squabbling over the, the silliest debates and we are not prepping ourselves for what's to come, you know. Well, we're not Michael, faith in terms of our faith. Yeah. yeah. Churches used to be a safe space, hmm. but here in California, we can't conceal carry in churches anymore. So they're not even safe. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> No, no that, but but that was one of my huge wake up calls. As a Jim's cracking himself up over there. <laughs> he just uh, likes he, to hurt me. That's all. He does. He does. <laughs> he knows right where to poke you. <laughs> I uh, that was one of the things. though, as a as a teacher that made me really question continuing teaching was because the first day it was after the Uvalde shooting, they had teacher training for uh, disarming. Uh, uh, intruders or whatever, you know, um, armed gunmen. And, you know, t- and, and they actually had a, uh, someone from the sheriff's department uh, fired live rounds, you know, well, blanks in the back of the auditorium for all of us to learn to respond. And, uh, and then they pass around a, a model of an AR-15 and showed us how to dis- how to unlatch the, the, uh, the clip from it. You know, and uh, how to how to, you know, hit hit the gun person just right. So the gun goes up because they're not military trained. So they're not going to know how to hold it correctly and all that. And I'm just sitting there going, this is not what I signed up for. Mm -hmm. And and then on top of that, I I basically, uh, for lack of a better term, because it's more of a political term, I'm a pacifist. So I'm going and here I am being trained on how to disarm a. Uh, you know, an AR-15, which I don't want to have anything to do with an AR-15, you know, and, and then, and then I'm like, I was, I, I didn't, I didn't sign up for the military and I'm being trained to respond to gunfire. And, and, and so all this stuff that, that, like you said, Michael, it's like no place is, is sacred anymore. And, uh, and, and, and what, what troubled me was not that, okay, we're facing the reality that this is the reality, this is happening in classrooms and stuff. What bothered me was the inability to see the distinction between why somebody chooses to become a teacher versus why somebody chooses to become a police officer. And it's not cowardice. It's it's two completely different frame of mindsets. My mindset was, Mm -hmm. I want to better the next generation. Mm -hmm. I don't want anything. I, I mean, one of the main people I talk to my students about constantly is MLK. It's like the last thing I want to be doing is, you know, tackling violent issues. So anyway, that was the first straw that broke that made me leave the education system is because I was like, when my whole family heard this, they're like, you got to be kidding me that you're having to, to train to do that. Um, and so that was the first thing. And then there were some other things that happened, but anyway, so, so yeah, it's, we, we, you know, again, it's, um, you know, we're talking about no place sacred, uh, uh, mayor friend of mine in Farmersville is the mayor of Farmersville just lost one of his residents recently to the shooting that was in Texas not too long ago. Oh, so, hmm. and, and believing family, you know, so again, it, 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 you talk about things that could rattle your security, you know, Oh, if I believe in Jesus and I just trust him, then I'm not going to face those things. You know, those just, <laughs> it's not how know. it works. Exactly. So, well, we kind of, we, we, we're kind of hitting another podcast with the, uh, we, we said we're going into the worm factory, but we're just swimming in the worms right now. Well, it's all good. We love our worms here. So a community within a community within a community arises. Let me explain. There is a community rising up now of people who are coming to the persuasion 
that God is good mm -hmm. all the time. That God, who Jesus revealed mm -hmm. through the cross, that community is within the community of what is known as Christianity or Christendom. And that community is within the community known as the world or the cosmos. And the, the two are straying further and further and further from anything that even makes sense. Uh, you know, the kingdoms of this world are collapsing. Christianity has no answers. The, the emperor has no clothes. And so yeah. you have this community of people discovering the, the Trinity, the, discovering the love of God, discovering the cross, um, you know. And as things get dark, the light gets brighter. Mm -hmm. But right now, it's, would you say this is true? It's embryonic at best. It's a, a smattering here, a smattering there, but but it is arising. The light is arising. If you take the a big macro view, right? And... and um... I, I mean, you could go all the way back from today into the emergent church in the New Testament and the and Paul, Paul's the conundrum Paul poses to Christianity. But you can go back just the last hundred years, Jim. I think, and as you look at twentieth century, um, we we can see the both the the uh, challenge uh, uh, to uh, fundamentalism and then evangelicalism as it's as it's kind of uh, tried to still cling on to that fundamentalist base um, and and the the destruction of this Protestant vision of of what God is like it, the Calvinist notion the the August even the Augustinian God the Western mm -hmm. God has come under fire and it's not it's not Western versus Eastern it's it's this Western God created as a construct of Rome and Christianity known as Constantinianism. And it's all coming apart. It's all coming apart. We have, we have now had, you know, 1,700 years of it, right? The, think of it this way. The distance between Jesus and us, and Tony Bartlett pointed this out, blew my mind one day. The distance between Jesus and us is greater than the distance between Abraham and Jesus. Hmm. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, right. Isn't that so crazy. Yeah. yeah. So here we are, two thousand years down the road, and you you could look at the world. You could say, you know what? Yeah, the world's improved in some ways. And and if you're if you're if you're oppressed right now, if you're in a war zone right now, if you're a refugee right now, if you're you know on the streets because you're homeless, or you know you've got a great need for fentanyl or whatever, whatever, whatever. If you're there, if that's where you're at, you're going to say, no, it hasn't. And it may be getting better for others, but it ain't getting better for me. You know, so we have this, as you said, this emerging awareness, and it came through the age of Aquarius, the Jesus movement had it. We've seen scholars now come out and talk about it. Gerard has certainly played a major role here in breaking open the question of sacrifice and the relation of religion to revelation. And, and I think more and more we're moving in that direction. Here's the question, big one. Can this revelation penetrate without the old god failing the old god has to die the western roman constantinian god has to go and the only way that can go is if the west falls and the west right now i'm not talking about rome mm -hmm. i'm talking about the united states mm -hmm. britain you know the west and if we if we fall if we go if we if we're taken down a notch or two or three however many notches people, they're not going to believe in their God anymore. Just like after World War II, Europe went secular. Because everybody mm -hmm. believed in God going through World War II. God's on our side, God's on our side, God's on our side. And then eventually everybody went, oh, crap. God wasn't even here. 
Well, that's what they think. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, I don't know. I'm I'm rambling. My yeah. bad. So so Lauren, it seems like uh, sorting through the junk drawer, we finally found the can opener. <laughs> now maybe now maybe next week we'll actually get into the can. <laughs> okay. Yes. What are you saying? Or do we have to eat the worms? Is that what we have? To do? <laughs> Jim's saying he wants to open a can of whoop ass. Whoop ass. Theological whoop ass. I'm kicking your ass in the name of the Lord. Call me Jerry Falwell. <laughs> Nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. I'm going to go out and eat worms. That's right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining with us going through the worm factory here. Uh, if, if you... Uh, and uh, uh, before you go out the exit, if you're interested in uh, in any materials that Michael has written or, or any videos he's done, where can they find that, Michael? Uh, YouTube. Dot, uh, YouTube, yeah under Michael Harden or Preaching Peace and I've got books uh, on Amazon and I have plenty of podcasts all they got to do is google my name and I have a lot of essays and journals and books and stuff for scholars and yeah I'm, I've left my little poop everywhere alright and Jim you, you touched on several of the things that are in your book where can people find your book uh, on Amazon on my bookshelf Alrighty. yeah hey, yes, my show. <laughs> yep I have both your stuff on my bookshelf All right, guys. Well, it's good talking to y'all, and we'll talk to everybody again next week.